Amen. Uh, good morning once again, Maple Grove, and welcome to week 13 of our series, Such Things Were Written. Amen. Right. Lucky week 13. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago. They teach us. They give us hope. Could you use some hope and encouragement as we wait patiently? It's hard sometimes for God's promises. And I got to tell you, it's, it's been an incredible time of study for me. I mean, the truths that we have uncovered and the warnings that we have been given and the hope and encouragement that has been planted into our hearts and minds have many times been exactly the things that we have needed. Now, we're going to be wrapping up this series next week, week 14, and a message that I'm calling God is Great and God is Good. It's a message that's going to drill down on those two primary characteristics, and I forgot to let everybody know that children can leave right now. That's my one simple job as I start out. Children are allowed to leave, right? Um, meet Jimmy and Hope back there. Got a bunch of them there. And, and those children who decide to stay, remember, fill out your outlines if you want, word searches, and, and adults as well. If you get all your word search problems, you can uh, um, get a candy bar as well, all, all right? Uh, but we're going to finish up next week talking about God is great, God is good, these two primary characteristics of God that we're introduced to in Genesis chapter 1, verses chapter 1 and chapter 3, all right? It's going to be a great study. And remember, in two weeks, November 1st, we're kicking off a brand new series called Finding Freedom in a World that Seeks to Bind You. I understand that there are many things that this world seeks to bind and enslave us to. Things like fear, guilt, shame, the opinions of other people, anger, bitterness, resentment, insecurity, the pursuit of pleasure, division, etc., etc. Next week, we're going to be talking about finding freedom from fear. I think there's a lot of fear right now, right? In our country, in our world, we're going to talk about finding freedom from fear. And here's some ways that I think you can get the most out of this upcoming series, all right? Um, if you're at home right now, you know, consider coming back to an in-person service. You know, we, we are, you're safer in this room than you are in Walmart or at a restaurant. I mean, we socially distance. I'm looking at, I can't tell if anybody's smiling at me right now, sticking their tongue at me, mouthing terrible things about me right now. I don't even know, right? So if you want to mouth off to me the entire service, right, I'd have no idea you're doing that. You can say, what a stupid idea, Steve. You're, you are a moron. I cannot stand with this guy. Is he ever, you can do all that, and I wouldn't even know, right? But we socially distance. We wash our hands. Um, uh, we have individual things for communion. So just consider, right? Uh, we're not asking you to jeopardize your safety, but just consider joining us um, for an in-person service. I also want to ask you, you know, commit to not missing one of these messages, you know, you know, if for some reason you can't be in this room or you can't watch online, make a commitment. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I listen to it during the week so that we all can take this journey together. Uh, number three, invite somebody to church or to watch online. Because I guarantee there's somebody that you know that could use some freedom in their lives. And, and you know what? Just invite them to watch online. Hey, hey check out. Uh, our, our church on Sunday, they're talking about freedom from fear. I know you've been scared about a lot of things with COVID and all this craziness. Well, come out and find about how you can find freedom from that fear. Invite somebody. And, and number four, a, a sign up to be part of an in-person or Zoom life group. Uh, one thing this pandemic has, has taught us is that as much as we sometimes don't like each other, <laughs> right, we actually need each other, right? 
And we were created for community. We were created to do life together. Amen? And, and I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited about this new series because I know there's people in this room, people listening online. There's people that you are going to invite that will find the freedom that they can have in Christ. For the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? And I'm also excited. You can probably tell I'm like amped up this morning for some reason, uh, for God reason. And, and uh, I'm excited about the message we're going to talk about this morning from Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, Ezekiel is probably right, a, a book that many people are not that familiar with. But even if you're not, you may have heard of this crazy vision that God gave Ezekiel of a valley filled with dry bones. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, to give us hope and encouragement as we wait for God's promises. And, and here's the deal. Here's what I want to do on October the 18th, 2020, day 291 of this crazy, insane, difficult, challenging, and year like no other. I, I want us to uncover the powerful truths that are locked within this vision given to Ezekiel and also uncover the hope and encouragement that God has, us, has for us there. And, and I really want to encourage you to, to lean into God's word this morning. Because I'm convinced that somebody listening right now to my voice desperately needs to hear what God has to say this morning. Get it? Good. And here's how we're going to attack this conversation, right? We're going to talk about the background, the vision, and then the so what. Background, the vision, and the so what. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, God, and Lord, as we live in this world that is so often full of many troubles and hardships, Lord, so many difficulties and trials and challenges, Lord, so many waves that crash against our lives, so many winds that blow against our lives that, that threaten to take away our hope, so many things that get us down, so many things that seem beyond us, Lord, so many places in our lives and around us we just want to give up. Because all we see is a valley full of dry bones. No hope. No hope for a future. No way of turning things around. And so God, I pray this morning that your spirit would blow into this place, would stir in our hearts, that we would lean into your truth. And that we personally would answer the question in our own lives, in our own circumstances, the question that you're asking us, can these bones live? In Jesus' name, amen. The background. Now, it's really essential for us to, to understand the background of this vision to really comprehend what God is trying to get across. Now, remember, when King Solomon, David's son, when he dies around 932 B.C., there's a civil war within the nation of Israel that results in them dividing up into two kingdoms. Israel in the north, ten tribes, and Judah in the south, two tribes. And this divided period in Israel's history lasted about 200 years. So several generations, all they ever knew was conflict and division. And then around 720 B.C., as we saw last week, the Assyrian Empire comes in and destroys the northern kingdom, and then they head south to attack Judah. But because of 
King Hezekiah's commitment, the king of Judah, to his commitment to purity, his commitment to prayer, his commitment to the words of the prophet, God saved them from the Assyrian army. And after this, things are pretty chill between Judah and the nations surrounding them until about the year 600 B.C. Then 600 B.C., some things start to happen. And I have a map you can look at here. And at this time, in the south, you have Egypt, uh, which has been a dynasty for about 1,500 years. And in the north, you have the Babylonian Empire. It's very large and very powerful. And, and sandwiched in between these two great empires, you have who? You have Judah. You have the people of God. And, and, and Judah back then decides to practice what we would call the, um, the balance of power diplomacy. In other words, they were always playing off their, their enemies, their neighbors against each other in order to navigate this very difficult geopolitical climate they found themselves in in the Middle East at that time, and, and some things never changed. And so in the, in the year 600 B.C., Judah decides, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to align ourselves with the Babylonian Empire, which means they would pay taxes and tribute to Babylon. And not only for their protection, but in actuality, protection from the Babylonians. However, in 600 B.C., a, a, a very ambitious king and Pharaoh in Egypt, Pharaoh Necho, he, he gets an army and he heads north and he reestablishes his dominance in the Middle East. And so the king of Judah decides, hey, we're going to start paying our tribute to Egypt instead of Babylon. But what doesn't take long before the billing department in Babylon notices and sends out a couple of late notices to uh, Judah. And Judah basically says, hey, really? Are you kidding me? I, I, I never saw those bills. They must have went into our, our spam folder. But you can only do that for so long. And eventually, the Babylonian king decides that he's going to make a house call. And so in 597 B.C., he shows up in Jerusalem. He lays siege to the city. It lasts about a year. And eventually, Judah gives up. They realize, hey, we cannot overcome this. And they say, hey, you know what? It just occurred to us that our checks must have got lost in the mail, and we really do want to pay you tribute. In fact, we're going to wire you the money directly to your account before the end of the day. And the Babylonian king is like, you know, that's a great idea. But in order for this nonsense not to happen again, I'm going to take 11,000 of the best and brightest in Jerusalem, the doctors, the lawyers, the legislators, the judges, the artists, the company CEOs, and I'm going to take them back to Babylon with me. And so 11,000 of God's people are deported, and they are now living in Babylon. And Babylon also removes the king of Babylon and puts a puppet king in their place, one that they control, can control by the name of Zedekiah. And so for about 10 to 11 years, Zedekiah, he, he walks a straight and narrow. He makes sure his checks arrive on time every month. And those 11,000 Israelites living in Babylon just resigned themselves to living their lives as exiles in a foreign country. And one of those exiles is a priest named Ezekiel, whose name means God strengthens. He was probably about 25 years old at the time. And if you know the story of Daniel, Daniel was in Babylon at the time, but he did not come in this particular wave of exiles. 
And after about five years in Babylon, when he was 30 years old, Ezekiel begins his prophetic ministry for God. And at first he was kind of a prophet of doom and gloom. He, he was always throwing water on the fires of the hopes of those in exile that they would return and that Jerusalem and the temple would never be destroyed. But his message was, Jerusalem will fall, the nation will fall, and the temple will be destroyed. And so the leading citizens are in Babylon, and, and things are going pretty okay back in Jerusalem until Zedekiah makes a fatal point of miscalculation. You see, at that time, the nation surrounded Judah decided, hey, if we, if we stick together, we can break the back of the Egyptian, of, of the Babylonian Empire. And, and so... Judah not only stops paying tribute, but they actively rebel against the Babylonian Empire. But this action, as you might expect, enrages King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he gathers a massive army and heads south. You know, and, and, and Zedekiah is frantically texting and leaving voicemails for the pharaoh of Egypt, but his phone must be on silent because he never, he never picked up. And Egypt never sends an army north to help them out. And so once again, Babylon lays siege on Jerusalem, and, and this time there will be no mercy whatsoever. And after a long and brutal 18-month siege, the people are starving, there, there's no food, and the Babylon army breaks through the walls of Jerusalem, and they take their vengeance. They burn every building in the city. They tear down all the walls surrounding Jerusalem. They pillage and destroy the temple of God. They, they hunt down King Zedekiah, who had snuck out the night before in the dark with his army, leaving his people defenseless. They hunt him down. They catch him. They execute his sons before his eyes. And then they gouge out his eyes. So that would be the last thing that he ever saw. And they put him in chains and take him back to Babylon. And the rest of the people living in Jerusalem... They take back to Babylon, except a few poor people to take care of the fields and to tend the vineyards. And when this news reaches the people, those 11,000 people plus exiled in Babylon, they're devastated. They have no country. They have no temple. They have no leadership. And their future as a people appears to be gone forever. I mean, they assume that before too long, they will simply be absorbed into this pagan culture and no longer be a people. Understand, this is where God's people are when the prophet Ezekiel has this powerful vision of a valley full of dry bones. They have no hope. They have no future. And, and in fact, they have been saying of themselves, as recorded in Ezekiel 37, verse 11, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone and we're cut off. Have you ever been there? Are you there? In a valley full of dry bones, in a place where your where your hope is dried up, in a place where you you feel cut off from a a good future, in a, in a place where 
When you look at the circumstances that surround you, all you see in the landscape of your life is dry bones. In a place where you have no power. In a place where you can't do anything about anything. Where everything seems to get more and more hopeless with each passing day. In a place where you feel like your only choice is to give up. It'll never get any better. Things will never be able to turn around. I'll never be able to get to the other side of this one. It is what it is, and I hate what it is. This is the background and the context for Ezekiel chapter 37 and this vision. Now for the vision. And again, you have to keep in mind the context, right? God's people are in exile. They've been in exile for years. And with the news of the complete and total destruction of their temple, of their city, and their nation, they and probably Ezekiel have lost all hope for their future. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Now, during that time when, when an army was defeated in battle, the, the soldiers who won would, would normally strip all the valuables off of those fallen soldiers, and then they would just leave the bodies there unburied, as if no one cared that they were dead. As if no one cared about their hopeless situation. And in remote places where there was a really huge battle, they could, skeletons could sometimes remain in the valley. That's where armies fought, right? David and Goliath, right? They met in the valley of Elah. That's where they fought. And bones would remain there for years. Where wild animals would completely devour those bodies and scatter the bones. And where the elements would leave a heavy and devastating toll on what remains. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the valley, on the floor of the valley. I mean, can you imagine walking ankle deep in the bones of the dead? I mean, it might have been a dog's dream, right? Uh, but I, I think it made the prophet extremely uncomfortable, right? To touch a dead body make you unclean, especially if you're a priest. And, and even though it was a vision, it was still a gruesome place that God had put Ezekiel in, but it was to underscore the, just how desperate and how hopeless God's people were. From one end of the valley to the other, all there was was dead bones. From one end of their lives to the other end of their lives, all they saw was hopelessness. Ever been there? He led them back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, and the bones were very dry. They weren't just dry, they were very dry. And you see, that's a statement, not just about right now, that's a statement about the future. That their future is hopeless. I understand, brothers and sisters, God wants his people to know that 
when you have discounted all hope, when you've looked throughout the valley of your lives and all you see is very dry bones, when you have no power, when you cannot do anything, God wants you to know that that is when he is the most powerful because when God steps in to hopeless situations, they change. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And see, if the bones were very dry, you know, now I'm not a medical person, you know. As a preacher, you have to dabble in things you don't know much about, but people dabble in my things, so it's all fair, right? And so if the bones are very dry, that means the marrow is very dry, and if, and if the marrow is gone, the marrow is where you have the stem cells that create blood. Without blood, there is no life, right? And the bone marrow is where you produce the red cells that take oxygen to the tissues. And the bone marrow is where you create the white cells that fight disease and have the platelets that clot when you are injured. So again, these bones are not just dead. They are dead, dead. No hope at all. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Uh, son of man, is there any hope for this hopeless situation? Now understand, God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's all-knowing. So he's not asking this question to gain information, right? He knows. He knew the answer. Instead, I think he's asking this question of Ezekiel to, for his benefit to see if Ezekiel... And him are on the same wavelength if Ezekiel's tuned into God to see if Ezekiel has enough faith to be the person that God needs to speak hope into the lives of his people who are saying, who describe themselves as our bones are dried up and our hope is gone, we are cut off. We are alive, but we're dead. We're alive, but we're dead. We're still around with the sensibilities to know where we are, but there's no hope for us. There's no hope for our future. I understand because God's people had turned their back on God. They thought that God could turn his back on them, and they were right. He did have that right. But the fact is, we cannot understand the loving kindness and mercy of our God. I mean, if I were to determine today whether or not I was worthy of God's mercy, I would have to say and determine that I'm not worthy. But thankfully, I'm not the one who makes that determination. Amen? And neither is anyone else. Understand, our God is more passionate, more merciful, and more long-suffering than we could ever imagine, and he's more powerful than we have yet to believe. Our God can take the most hopeless of situations and turn it around. He can turn night into day. He can turn graves into gardens, bones into army, death into life. He can turn mourning into dancing. I understand what may appear to us as an impossible situation is a field of possibilities to God. God said to the aged Sarah in her 90s who doubted that God could cause her to have a son. In Genesis 18, verse 14, God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And when a teenage girl named Mary was confronted with having the child of God, Gabriel said, nothing's impossible with God. When the disciples said, who then can be saved? Jesus said, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. 
And you know what I find is interesting? That God, God puts Ezekiel in the middle of a vision that represents the very words that the people were saying about themselves. That's where he got the idea, right? They were already saying it. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We're cut off. I mean, it's if God is saying to them, okay, you, you want to talk about bones? We can do that. You want to talk about hopelessness? We can do that too. But get ready to watch what I can do with dry bones. Get ready to watch what I can do with hopeless situations. He asked me, son of man, can, you, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And understand, if Ezekiel would have responded to God's question from a human point of view, what would he have said? No! Are you kidding me? There's no way these dry, very dry, scattered bones could ever live again. No, Lord, are you kidding me? There's no way that this situation... There's no way that this circumstance, there's no way that this relationship, this no, there's no way that this person that is so hard-hearted towards you that I stop praying, there's no way, Lord, that these bones could live again. I, I mean, if you were the first arrival in an accident and you, you saw a body laying on the ground, I mean, you, you might do a little CPR, right? Maybe you could revive that person. But if you came across dead bones... I don't think you're going to do mouth-to-mouth, right? Because they're dead and, and all hope is gone. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, I've been to Sunday school. I know how to answer tough questions. Jesus, right? God, right? He knows how to answer. He, goes, he didn't say no. He said, didn't really say yes. He said, you know. Lord, you know. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. You alone. You alone know. And understand when God asks you a question that he already knows the answer to, it's time to get a little excited. (laughs) Because God's about to show up and step in to a situation. Amen? Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Now imagine if you're walking down the street and you see a guy preaching to a skeleton. What would you think? <laughs> um, 911, we got some crazy dude right here. He's got the Grove long sleeve t-shirt. I think his name is Steve. He's preaching to a skeleton here. Huh? You may want to come and get him. And preaching dry bones like a waste of time. I mean, skeletons don't exactly listen. I mean, there's sometimes, I mean, he's a preacher, right? Preachers want responses, right? I mean, there's sometimes, I think, you know, that at least a little squirming in the seat, a little head nodding, right? And sometimes I'm like, wow, am I preaching to you know, dry bones? I, I said something good. This is God's word. And dry bones. So preaching dry bones seems like a waste of time. But listen, never underestimate incredible power of the word of God, right? Not the words of men, but the words of God. 
And if God, because if God can speak matter into existence with the word, and if God with the word can form man out of the dust of the ground and can take a rib and form a woman, and if God can calm the seas with a word, if God can call a dead man out of the tomb, Lazarus, come out! Then it stands to reason, does it not, that God can cause dry bones to hear the word of the Lord. And what I want you to do right now is to, if you have a hopeless situation right now, circumstance or relationship, or if you know somebody that has those things, or if you, you see the, if you look at our country and it just seems so hopeless sometimes, right? I want you to think of that hopeless situation, all right? That dry bone situation. And, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to say dry bones. And you're going to say, hear the word of the Lord. If we say it good and loud and with passion, we can move quickly. If not, we can camp out here for a while. But I want you to think about that situation. Dry bones. Dry bones. Think about our country and everything that's going on. It looks so hopeless. Dry bones. Think about that relationship that you think cannot be restored. Dry bones. Amen. That's what the Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. When your hopeless situation turns around, when what you thought could never be restored happens, then you'll know. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. I mean, imagine that. He's just preaching and he's ducking, right? Because they're bone over here. I mean, they're just flying everywhere, right? Doom, 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 everywhere, right? Flying. He's ducking, flying. Wooden the bones. As God begins this process of restoration and reassembly and resurrection. After the bones come together in their appropriate positions, Ezekiel continued preaching. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. At this point, all the body parts are in their proper place. The bones, the muscle, the skin are all in position, but there's still no life. The brain was in the head, but it's not thinking. The lungs were there, but they weren't breathing. The heart was there, but it wasn't beating. I mean, like Adam before God lifted him and breathed life into him. And like the church before the wind of the Spirit came and breathed life as it was birthed. Each body was still a lifeless corpse. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. The word translated is, it can mean, it's like rah, rah, rah. Crazy word, rah. It's used ten times in here. It can mean spirit or wind or breath. They said to me, prophesy to the breath. Rah. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breathe. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain, these hopeless, breathe into this hopeless situation that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. What a vision. The dead now standing, a vast army. 
And the cool thing is, we don't have to wonder what this prophecy was about, because God tells us. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They're my people that I love, that are in exile, that have no hope. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them. In other words, Ezekiel, what I had you do in the vision, I want you to do right now to my people. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from there. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. See, they were living in a state of hopelessness in in Babylon. They felt like dead, dry bones. They said their hope was lost, that they were cut off from their future, from their homeland, that God is forsaking them. But God says, I'm going to bring you up from your captivity that right now feels like that you're in a grave. And I'll bring you back to your homeland. I'll bring you back to Israel. I'll bring you back to Jerusalem. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from there, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And and I will, same word, breath, and and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know. See how many times? Then you will know. There's a reason behind this. The Lord has spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. Again, God says to a dried up, hopeless, cut off people, I'll bring you up from your captivity that feels like a grave. Hopeless, it can feel like a grave, can it? It can kind of feel like a, a grave where you're, where you're buried alive, right? It, you're surrounded by it, but there's no way for you to get out of it. And God says, I can bring you up out of that grave. And that's exactly what God did. Not long after this, Babylon falls to Persia. And then the Persian king, some, somebody that Isaiah talked about, a hundred years before he was even born, This Persian king Cyrus, in 537, issues a decree. Basically, this decree, I'm not going to read it. I put the references. You can see them right there. Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus. Jeremiah prophesied about Cyrus. And in Ezra chapter 1, we read Cyrus is on the throne. And Cyrus says, you know what? God has told me to do this. And guess what? All of Israel can go back to their homeland. And I'm going to help them build their temple. And if you ain't going with them, then you got to give them some money to, to help them do it. And give them some money to make the journey easier for them, right? God said it would happen, and that's exactly what happened. God's people made it back home. Amen? They made it back to where God said they would, would go. Out of the graves. The background and the, the vision. And now quickly as we wrap up. The so What? Such things were written long ago. Teach us and give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. So, so what, what's the so what? And, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. You know what? Because the stuff I'm going to say is stuff that you probably know, but you know what you need to do? You need to reflect on it more. You need to believe in it more. And you need to anchor your hope to it more. All right? And, and, and here are some real, real simple stuff. We learn from this. Number one, God keeps his promises. Amen? He keeps his promises. God promised Israel, right? If you're doing great in the land, you'll stay. If you mess up, guess what? I'm going to kick you out. But he also promised David, right? That that I will establish your throne forever. God keeps his promises. They messed up. He punished them, but guess what? He brought them back, right? And, and, And guess what? 
David's throne is established forever through who? A descendant of David by the name of Jesus, right? Who at this very moment sits on his throne at the right hand of God with all power and all authority. Amen? God keeps his promises. Therefore, you can trust what he says. See, when God says that in Christ your sins are forgiven, you can trust that. When God says that in Christ, therefore, there's no condemnation, you can trust that. When God says that he, he causes all things to work out for the good of those who love him, when God says that he's going to prepare a place for you, when God says that in Christ you're more than conquerors, you can trust what God says. God keeps his promises. And number two, God can do anything. Therefore, do not put any limits on what God can do. Question, do you put limits on God's power? Understand, nothing is impossible for God. And no situation is beyond his, his repair and restoration. And no life, no person is beyond his redemption and his transformation. Amen? No matter how corrupt that life seems, no matter how far away from God they seem, no matter how far that Christian has drifted from God, no life, no life is beyond his redemption, salvation, transformation. Do you have a problem right now that seems too big for you? God is more powerful than your problems. God is greater than your circumstances. He is stronger than any crashing wave beating against your life right now or mine. Question, have you ever looked at a, another person or situation in this world and COVID, division, Injustice, violence, racial tension, immorality, and all you saw was dry bones? <laughs> it's hopeless. It's hopeless. Everything's hopeless. Understand, I believe that our God, the creator and maker of heaven and earth, can step into any valley full of any number of dry bones to any place of hopelessness and bring his presence and his power into it. So don't ever say there's no hope. Don't ever say it's nothing but dry bones. Don't ever say that, that God isn't powerful enough to change them, to restore them, to turn things around. Because when God steps into an impossible situation, the possible happens. Amen? God keeps his promises. You can trust what he says. God can do anything. Do not limit his power. God can bring the dead back to life. He did with dry bones. He's a creator of life. He did it to, in Genesis, when the world was dead, didn't exist, formless and void, he brought life into it. He brought life into Adam. He brought life from the tomb when Jesus rose. And the, perhaps the greatest thing he does is what Jesus said in John 5, 24, I'll tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's the biggest, right? I mean, we were dead in our sins, and in Christ Jesus, we're alive by his grace. Amen. God keeps his promises. Reflect on that. Believe that. Anchor your hope to that. God can do anything. Reflect on that. Believe in that. Anchor your hope to that. God can bring what is dead back to life. Reflect on that. Believe in that. Anchor your hope to that. And the final thing, I think, 
God would have us today is, yes, these bones can live. God asked the prophet, right? He said, can, can, these, can these bones live? And I think he would ask you and I the same, same question today, right? Can these bones live? Can this situation turn around? Can I overcome this difficulty? Can things in this country and the church get back to normal? Can that person, can that relationship be brought back to life? Can these bones live? Yes, these bones can live. And, and, and this is going to be quick, but so important. All right? You with me? Hey, you, look up. If we do three things, real quick, so you've got, you got to be leaning in. Three things. Because Elijah had to do, I, I mean, Ezekiel had to do something, right? Because if he didn't preach to the bones, guess what? He, that'd be the end of the story. Oh, no, can't live. And he goes home and under his blanket, put, cries and whatever. Um, here, here's, here's what, you know, yes, these bones, yes, these hopeless situation can turn around if we do as he commands. Twice we read, so I prophesied as I was commanded, right? If you want these, you want restore hope to hopelessness, do what God commands, okay? Reflect on that, believe in that, and anchor your hope to that. And speak his word into your life, into the life of others, because I'm here to tell you that whenever God's truth is spoken clearly and with boldness, there's going to be some rattling, right? There's going to be some changing because God's word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Do what he commands. Speak his word. Believe in that, reflect on that, anchor your hope to that, and lean into his spirit. See, the Spirit empowers both the Word and our lives as believers, right? One of the guys that went back to help rebuild the temple was a guy named uh, Zerubbabel. And he went back and didn't have, you know, he was pretty discouraged and he was trying hard to make it happen, working overtime, working his crew overtime, feeling kind of frustrated about the whole situation, like, hey, we're never going to get there. And so God sends his prophet Zechariah in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 to say this. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. I know you feel kind of hopeless right now. I know you feel like you're not getting anywhere. I know you're tired. Your muscles are aching. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Zerubbabel, when you lean on the Spirit, you'll be able to say this. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? What are you, this difficulty, before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground? Then we'll bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it. God bless it. Can these bones live? Maple Grove, God keeps his promises. You can trust what he says. God can do anything. Do not put limits on the power of God. God can bring what is dead back to life. 
dead circumstances, dead relationships. He could bring them back to life. And yes, these bones can live. If we do as he commanded, if we speak his word, and who does God want you to speak his word into the life right now? Is there somebody? And what word does God want you to speak into your own life right now? And then lean into his spirit. Because the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Father God, I thank you for this powerful vision of dry bones, Lord. And sometimes, if we're honest, I know a lot of times we're honest with you, that's what our life feels like. It feels dried up, like there's no hope, like there's no future, like we're stuck, like we're buried in graves. Like there's no way through. Like there's no hope. But God, we know that Whenever you show up and step into a situation, God, that things change. And Father, I pray for everyone listening right now to my voice, God, that, that looks at the landscape of their life and sees nothing but dry bones to know, Lord, that you can make the dry bones live again, that you can bring hope where there is no hope, life where there is not life. Holy Spirit, just move in our lives this week. Help us to be a people who walk in your hope. Help us to reflect on, to believe in, and to, and, and to put our hope in the truth you revealed to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.